to our church. If you're new to our church, we'd love for you to pick up a welcome folder. You can pick it up at the back of the sanctuary at the connection site or at the welcome desk. In your bulletin, you'll find a friendship card. Please fill it out so we'll know you're here. And on the back, you can leave prayer concerns, blessings, or notes to the staff. Enjoy the service!
Good morning. And on our clipboards today, we're looking for help with um, uh, 30-hour famine and with um, Vacation Bible School. There's all kinds of things going on that are coming up um, this summer for us, and we want to be a blessing to all those who will be participating and help out in any way that we can. I have a wonderful joy to share with you this morning. I'm so pleased and so blessed. Um, Sandy Houck's um, Disciple One class had their closing um, session and service this past Thursday, and we have some people who have who worked since September. They were meeting every single week, I think except for when it was really bad and snow. Um, But they were meeting, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And so I want to celebrate that class. It's so important that we dig deep into God's Word to grow in our Christian discipleship. And these folks made the commitment to do that this year. And um, so I just want to celebrate them. Um, uh, Jim Hohensey and Marilyn Varney, Mary Luter, Lori Gondek, Debbie Stern, Melissa Rada, Kelly Putney and Kenny Say all went through Disciple this year, and it was such a blessing under Sandy Houck's capable leadership. So let's give praise to God for all of the work that God did in the lives of these folks who met. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. And if you did, if you did complete Disciple, um, you know because you were there. And I have, if you didn't get your certificates on Thursday, I have them. So come get Come catch me, and I will give you your certificate. What other joys do we have to share this morning? Yes, Becky. Becky Snyder is the grandma. Yes, she is. Amen. Amen. Um, Katie and Brian, Katie Snyder, Hope. Yep, Peyton Hope, um, daughter of, of Brian and Jamie Snyder, and granddaughter of Becky Snyder, who is um, a member of our church and just a blessing to this congregation. Thank you. Yes. Confirmation, Elizabeth will be going to Star Point in the fall. What a blessing that she'll be able to receive all that she needs. What a blessing. Others? Well, I know you have joys because the joy of the Lord is our strength. God has blessed us abundantly so that we can be a blessing. Let's return our gifts, tithes, and offerings to the Lord to show God how much we love him to offer our blessings to him.
Dear Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for this day and for the opportunity that we have to gather together and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord God, accept the offerings that we make. Multiply them and give us wisdom to know how to best use them for the furtherance of your kingdom. It is in your name that we pray. Oh, these concerns and those that are in your heart, whether you uh, join me from your seat or at the rail, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you knowing that you are a God who loves us deeply and cares for everything every circumstance of our lives, all of those things that we endure here in this world. You desire to bring us into a place of peace and rest. And we are often in the midst of storms. Help us to rely on you, to trust in your name and your great power to be with us through these times, to help us to overcome them, to help us to know your peace and your rest in the midst of them. Now, Lord, we lift up all of those who are sick and infirm, those who are in need of a healing touch from you, Lord God. We pray for relief of pain. We pray in Jesus' name. For wisdom for doctors, nurses, and other caring medical professionals who need wisdom that is beyond their training, that is beyond their experience and their learning. Help them to be led by you, Lord God, as they seek to bring healing into the lives of people. Bless the families of those folks who are recovering. Help them to be of a source of peace and comfort and give them the patience that they need to work with their loved ones as they help them. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving losses. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. As all kinds of losses afflict us, we lose our friends, we lose family members, some of them who move far away from us, whether it be in distance geographically or in their hearts. We have those also in our lives, Lord God, who are taken from us because it's the end of life. Lord, for those who are transitioning and helping those who are in transition from this life into eternal life, we just ask in Jesus' name for your comfort and for your peace. We pray for those who have lost those things that they relied on whether from fire or flood, uh, tornadoes, other natural disasters, Lord God, as people are trying to rebuild their lives, I pray in Jesus' name, send help. Send comfort. 
Let them know that you are with them. Father, we pray in Jesus' name for ourselves, Lord, for we seek to know your will. We seek to know what you would have us do in the circumstances of life that we face and how you would have us help others who are in need. We pray in Jesus' name that you would transform us more and more into Christ-likeness. Give us a desire to hear from you in a way that matters. We hear and that we follow where you lead us. Help us to put aside those things that are not from you. Help us to ignore the distractions in this life and seek to fix our eyes on Jesus as he perfects our faith. Help us even now, Lord God, as we worship you, to come to know you in a deeper, more significant way than we ever have before. Through all of the prayers, through the songs of praise, through the the word being spoken out loud and the message that you've given Pastor Tom for us this day, touch our hearts, Lord. Transform us into Christ-likeness so that we may leave this place better equipped to be the blessing that you have called us to be in the world. Help us to worship you well this day. Bless Pastor Tom as he brings the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we hear from the word of the Lord? Good morning. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. It's the righteousness through faith. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? Is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, 
since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Judy. Last Friday, I went to graduation over at Starpoint to watch some of our young people graduate from high school. My grandson actually graduated this year from high school. Anybody else have a graduate in their family? What a wonderful celebration, isn't it, to, to have people accomplish and get through this, this wonderful journey and graduate and move on to the next phase of life. This last week, we had a couple of our long-term members graduate We sent them from our church to the eternal church. They actually stepped up to a little better church. What does it take to graduate to that eternal church? What does it take to please God? Is it being good? Is it worshiping God? Is it giving of our time or our money? Is is it belonging to a church? Paul tells us that it doesn't matter whether we're, we're Jew or Gentile, or in other words, whether we're a part of a church or we're not, whether we're, we're good or bad. That the only way we find our salvation is through faith. We're going, we're going to look at this book of Romans all summer, but we're also taking a look in the Old Testament, and uh, today we're going to look at the book of Genesis and talk about a character there. Let's see if you can figure out who it is. He left his home and traveled to a place he'd never been where God promised him he would have so many children they'd be like the stars in the heavens. And God told him to take a knife and cut himself someplace nobody would cut themselves. Anybody guess who I'm talking about? Abraham, yes, good old father Abraham. Abraham... It says in the scripture, in the book of Romans actually, in the next chapter, it says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God and it was saved, as it says in this passage, by his faith, not by what he did. He believed in the impossible. He was an old man in his 90s, and his wife was old as dirt. Sorry, Sarah, but she was. She was so old that there is no way, it is virtually impossible for her to have a child. And yet Abraham believed that God could do the impossible. You know, a number of years ago, someone once said to me, if God can't do the impossible, what do we need God for? If all we're going to get out of God is what we can do, we don't really need God. We need God to do what is virtually impossible for us to accomplish on our own. God is good. And all the time. But we're not. It says in this passage, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is like this glass of water. Perfect, pure, clear, clean but we're not, even when we try. Last week, 
I went up in the attic to build some shelves at the cottage. Now, actually, the, the, the left side I built first came out pretty good. You could walk up and look at them and say, pretty good. And I felt good. You know, you get that picture in your mind of what they're going to look like. And it actually came out about like that. So I was feeling real confident because I was going to the other side to do exactly what I did on the first side. And my wife came up at the end and she said, well, they're nice, but that one's just kind of like not right. (laughs) Thanks, honey. That's what I needed. Encouragement. (laughs) You ever find that the picture you have in your mind is not what actually happens? It's not just in building shelves. It's in building our lives. We want to do what's right, but somehow we don't make it. So we're more like this dirt. I got this from the front garden, just basic garden variety dirt, just like us. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, because we're sinners, it actually makes God angry. It says so in the book of Psalms, it says, God is a righteous judge, a judge who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend his string and his bow, he has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. God gets angry. And, and we have a hard time picturing God as, uh, as angry. We like to think of him as Santa Claus, making a list, checking it twice, but, you know, it gives everybody a gift anyways, right? We like to think of Jesus as always saying the nice words, but he didn't. God gets angry, and we can understand it if we look through the eyes of God. You know that passage where it says, if anyone should cause these little ones to sin, it would be better if they had a great big stone tied around their neck neck and be thrown into the sea. I don't know about you, but when little innocent children are abused or mistreated, it makes me, makes me angry. Something like this. When strapped into a car seat, crying, what would you do? Is everything okay? That's my baby. Um, Is she crying again? You can't leave her in the car by yourself. Oh, it's only been a few minutes. It doesn't matter. It's against the law, law and we're actually social workers. We'd have to call that in. I don't think it's a big deal. It's a baby. It's my baby, and I'm back here now. I don't think it's your baby. I'm going to have to call it in. It's not that hot. It's a baby. Yeah, why don't you take care of your baby, but I'm still calling it in. Look closely. You can see she's visibly shaken and can barely dial the phone number. I do it all the time, anyway. Take her out of the car. I have to run one more errand. Okay, are you going to be here for a second? Are you kidding me? It's not a big deal. Because you're a social worker, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're overreacting. You can't do that. I just want to take the lady and strangle her, don't you? Of course, we know it's a TV show. I wish it was just a TV show, though. When people do things like this, it makes me angry. And there are things that we get upset about and we get angry about because they're just not right. And God is the same way. In the third chapter of Romans, where we're looking, in the beginning of the chapter, it says this. 
There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Does that make it clear? Paul kind of points it out. None of us, not you, not me, not anyone in this room or anywhere on this earth is good. Abraham wasn't good. Really. He was kind of a jerk. He had an army, hundreds of men that he would go around and impose his will on his neighbors. They were afraid of him. And you're not afraid of somebody who doesn't have the ability to hurt you. Abraham not only had the ability to hurt people, he did. He kept people as slaves. When he went to Egypt, he was concerned that the Pharaoh would fall in love with his 90-year-old wife. And so he said, tell the king you're my sister. Even crazier, turns out she is his sister. Abraham was not exactly what we would call good. And so in verse 27 it says, none of us can boast because none of us are good according to the rules of God, according to what God says is right and wrong. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I find it fascinating how oftentimes people, especially Christians, will pick out one little group of people to point out what their problem is as if we don't all have our own. And sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 says it this way. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sin has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear for your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, your tongue mutters wicked things. You see, it's impossible, impossible for us to have this dirt and this pure water together and still have pure water. Do you get it? It doesn't matter how much dirt I were to put in this water. Let's do something. I'll just take a pinch. So what do you think? Is the water dirty or clean now? It's dirty, right? That's the problem. If we put dirt in the water, I've got to wash my hands off here, it becomes dirty. So if God is going to remain perfect, he has to stay away from the brokenness and sin that we are. Abraham believed that the impossible was possible. And so he did what was unimaginable. He took a knife, and he cut himself someplace where you just don't cut yourself. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and ask somebody. I'm not going to describe it. 
He did the unimaginable because he believed in the impossible. Now, it's not that God really wants us to hurt ourselves, but he wants to know if we really believe in God. Because that unimaginable faith leads to an impossible grace of making the imperfect perfect. And that's what, that's what the core of the Christian faith is about. That's what Romans is all about. That's what this chapter 3 of Romans is about, which is the center of what we believe as Christians. In verse four, 24, it tells us about the redemption. God is angry. And somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody's got to pay for this. Somebody deserves to be punished for this. We all want that lady to be taken out, and well, I won't say what I want her to have happen. And what the scripture tells us is that Jesus paid the price to God's anger. And through through the grace of God, somehow, through the blood of Christ, that dying makes us live. In fact, that sacrifice somehow makes us at one with God. It mentions the word atonement, which just means to be at one with God. It puts the two together. Somehow. Impossibly. See, the Bible tells us that God took the sins of the world in Corinthians and he put them on himself, which made God full of sin. That's the price he paid, that's the death he experienced. Because for God to lose his righteousness, for God to lose his perfection, is the greatest pain that God could feel. God can't die. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't about God dying. It was about God dying to his right to have only perfect people in his presence. And that's hard. In fact, somehow it's impossible. Do you know that Abraham is the only one in the Bible that was called God's friend? You know, we like to sing that song, What a friend we have in Jesus. But did you know that Abraham is the only one in the whole Bible out of all the people in these pages that God called a friend? So if you think you're a friend of God, you've got to put yourself up with Abraham, okay? Kind of interesting, isn't it? The only one. And why would he call himself a friend of Abraham? Because Abraham believed. He had faith. And faith is not about us receiving some benefits from God. It's not about us somehow getting what we want out of God. It's about us living. Be living. For God. John chapter 15 says this. My command is this. Remember this is the platinum rule. 
Love each other as I have loved you. And how did he love you? Greater love is no one than this, that they lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Are we willing? Are we willing to sacrifice like Abraham was? Like Jesus was? There's an old story about a man who ran a, a, a train trestle. You know, bridge over a great big ditch. And it, and it was a drawbridge. Because sometimes there were boats that needed to pass underneath. And the train bridge was usually down so the trains could go through, but sometimes they had opened it up for the boats to come through. And at this particular time, the bridge was up. And the man had a son who liked to come and play with his dad at work. So while, while his father was sitting up in his little booth where the controls were, his son started climbing around and ended up down in the mechanism that ran the bridge. And the father heard a train coming. And he's shouting to his son. Now he has a choice. He can't get his son to hear him. He can go down and get him out of the, 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 the mechanism but he doesn't have enough time to do that and put the bridge down. So either his son is going to get mangled in the machinery or the train is going to crash. Would you throw the lever? Would you let your child die so that hundreds could live? I was asked on an ordination retreat what I would be willing to die for. We were, we were very brave and strong until somebody said, I want to know what would you be willing to let your child die for? Would we be willing? Like God was willing to let his son die for us. Do we have that kind of belief? Not perfectly following every rule, but living to a higher law, a law of love. I got to tell you, working on those shelves in the attic, it was hot last week. I'm in an attic. It's hot. I'm lifting three quarter inch sheets of plywood to the attic. I'm too old for this. If you don't know what that means, pick one up once. And I really didn't care if the shelves were perfect. Because <laughs> they're shelves in an attic. The reason I was doing this is because the woman I love wanted shelves in the attic. <laughs> Do you follow? And so I did it. You see, we make sacrifices for love. And God loved us more than his righteousness, more than his rules, more than his laws, more than being perfect. And that love changes everything. And first John, or first Peter rather, chapter four, it says to us, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over 
a multitude of sins. You see, grace is love over sin. What God did was God took his anger. You know, like, like when you're angry at your child and you want to do something bad to him? And you swallow it up yourself. And God took that sin and he swallowed it up. Somebody thought I had Oreo cookies in here. <laughs> I didn't. Which probably would be worse for me. Oh, that's another story altogether. <laughs> See, God made a way for us to get back to righteousness because we trust in God and we love God. Now, that doesn't mean that we should go out and do whatever we want because that would mean we really don't care about God. That would mean we really don't love God. It means that we actually have to change who we are. Verse 31 says to us, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. We do what we know will please God. You think I made the shelves crooked on purpose? I tried my best to get those things to be perfect so that my wife would come up and go, oh, they're beautiful, honey. (laughs) But God takes our brokenness and somehow fixes everything with his love. But you see, faith isn't a one-time thing. God said, pick up the knife again. By this time, Abraham had actually had a son. Sarah, in her old age, gave birth to Isaac, his son through whom the promise would come. God had told him that. And he's now a little boy. And God said, pick up the knife. I want you to take your son, your only son, up on a mountaintop, and I want you to sacrifice him for me. My friend Len Swede, who's a great theologian, said, Abraham failed the test. He was supposed to argue with God and say, no way, what are you, nuts? And by the way, this only happened once in the Bible. I don't want to hear anybody talking about doing this, okay? And he went up the hill. He actually had the knife over the top of his son Isaac. And God stopped him. As well, God should have stopped him. And he said, now I know for sure how much you love me. God called him friend because he not only, not only was willing to talk about faith, but he was willing to live it out. Sometimes faith in God requires us to live differently, to sacrifice what we want for what God wants from us. Last night I got the phone call after church. My friend Ed, I've known him for 30-some years. It was unexpected. We don't even know altogether what happened. He's got some weird infection. Next thing you know, his kidneys are shutting down. He's got cancer. And they're going to put him in hospice. 
I got the phone call. He's Roman Catholic. He needs a priest to give last rites. And he knows one. A guy who lives across the street from him, out at Silver Lake. Put on my black suit and the collar. Some of you have seen me in it once in a while. Freaks you out when I show up in the hospital room that way, doesn't it? And I took my anointing oil, and I got in the car, and I drove to Strong Memorial Hospital. Now, on Saturday night, if you're going to ask me to make a three-hour commitment after worship, believe me, I'm going to say no. That's not fair to you for me to exhaust myself on a Saturday night. But God told me to say yes. It was fascinating. I drove up there. You know, it's not close. It's like an hour and 20, 25 minutes. I got up there. I walked in the room. As I was walking down the hall, his daughter-in-law saw me and said, oh, there's that. Oh, no, that's a priest. (laughs) And I walked in the room, and Ed wanted me to pray with him. We visited for all of about a minute and a half, two minutes. Then I prayed for him, and I gave him last rites. After we were done, he said, you can go now. (laughs) What? I don't even get a visit out of this? Are you serious? You're dying, and I don't even get five minutes to say my goodbyes? You came for what I wanted you for. You can go now. And when somebody who's dying and there with their family wants you to leave, I went down to the parking garage, and on the way out, I realized if I only stayed for 20 minutes, I didn't have to pay, and I didn't have to pay. (laughs) That's kind of cool. But I had to pay with hours of my time. It's a small thing, really, when you think about it. But over the course of time, God will again and again ask me to make a sacrifice. And it's cost my family, it's cost my my children, it's cost my world. And it cost Abraham. You may not know this, but it says in the Bible that Sarah took Isaac and moved away. Maybe you didn't know that. Sarah, who he loved as much as life itself. His son, who he loved so dearly, Isaac, she said, I'm not letting that crazy man anywhere near my child. Which you understand, Sarah, don't you? I do. Do we have the faith of Abraham? I would suggest to you probably not. We don't have a right to boast. Except in the love of God that makes the impossible possible. My wife's been walking all around the neighborhood telling everybody about the wonderful shelves I built for her up in the attic. How beautiful they are. She even takes people up there to look at them. She doesn't say, see, that one's crooked and this one's straight. She just goes up and says, look at what he did because he loves me. Because love covers over a multitude of sins and even crooked shelves. Faith, our believing, is imperfect. We're not good at it. But God is good. And all the time. And he makes us perfect. Not by what we do, but what he does for us. 
In verse 30, it says there's only one God. One perfect God. And he was willing to give up the one thing he wanted and loved the most, his perfection. To die. So that we might live. And that's what that cross was all about. a clue about parents we really know you're not going to be perfect after all we weren't but when you mess up all we really want you to do is come and say I messed up I'm sorry I'll try a little better next time believe it or not our heavenly daddy wants us to do the same thing if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts we will find the salvation of God. So I invite you to pray with me this morning. Dear God in heaven, Dear God in heaven I, have sinned. I have sinned. I've broken your laws. I've broken, your laws. I've broken, other, people. I've broken other people. I've broken your heart. I've, broken your heart. I've, hurt, myself. I've hurt myself. Forgive me, Lord. 
Change me. Fill my heart. And help me to live the way you want me to live. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, God calls us not to just confess, but also to repent, which means to turn, to change our lives, to do something different. Today is the day that God wants you to transform the way you live. In about a minute, you're going to be perfect. Pretty cool, huh? You're going to be perfect. Absolutely nothing wrong with you. Everything you ever did wrong will be gone. The question is, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to live for God in faith? In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
God, let us greet our neighbor with the peace of the Holy Spirit. You want to finish it up? Peace be with you, and peace be with you, darling. Peace be with you, Robert. And peace be with you. Peace be with you, God's grace, we are invited to the table. We are invited to partake in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we might be made whole again. Everyone is welcome at the table. If you love God, repent of your sin and seek to live in peace as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are welcome at the table. Welcome to come and to receive all that God has for you. Welcome to come and be empowered. Will you come this morning? Will you say yes to receiving all that Jesus has set aside for you today? He wants to meet with you here. You are invited. I am invited. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away, 
and our love failed. Your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks to you. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise and gave it to his disciples. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Shall we pray together with the confidence of children of God, the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will those who are serving please come forward. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we're going to sing together, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace. 
So when I was a kid, I had a mother who used to tell me that you got to eat a peck of dirt before you die. <laughs> Anybody else have a mother like that? Like, really? What was that all about? We're like, what? What? Well, we did learn that a little bit of dirt isn't going to kill us. It's really not going to make that much difference. That little bit of dirt isn't going to bother us at all. And we need to learn how to swallow it and live on through it. You know, the platinum rule is very simple. Love one another as God has loved you. That means in life you're going to have to swallow a little dirt. Not your dirt, somebody else's dirt. Somebody else's fault, somebody else's problem, somebody else's pain. Remember the prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So there's the challenge, isn't it? The challenge is to go and live like Christians in this world. I'm not talking about the people who don't want to be forgiven. I'm talking about the people who are seeking to be in relationship with you and with God and to love you as God loves you. Go and spread that grace, that forgiveness, that love. Eat a peck of dirt. It's good for you. Good for the world. Go in peace. Thank you.